So this morning we are continuing uh, in the prayer that Jesus prayed. It's his longest prayer in the New Testament, John chapter 17. Uh, I was just telling the elders this morning when we were meeting to pray for the service that I'm, you know, been preaching for a lot of years now. And I can't believe I haven't preached through. I mean, we have preached through the gospel of John and we moved through John chapter 17 and we did it. But there is so much here that's so vitally important to understand that I can't believe we haven't sat down in this and taken more time. Well, we're going to do that uh, now. And remember last week we talked about this prayer in John 17. It's kind of like getting Jesus to be mic'd up. You know, kind of like the, the guy on the field who's in the action. You want to hear what the linebacker's saying when he calls the play. And what, what he's, what's he saying to the guy over there when he realigns him? I'm curious about all that kind of stuff when I watch a game. This is Jesus after he's talked about discipleship with his disciples. And this is going to be your life. And this is what it's going to entail. And, and now he's going to turn to the Father and he's going to pray about these very things. Wouldn't you love to eavesdrop on Jesus' prayer? Jesus praying. What a lesson to learn, right? Well, it's preserved for us in John chapter 17. And we started last week by recognizing Jesus announces this moment in an all-defining way. Father, the hour has come. And we looked last week at how that one hour, it reaches into every other hour that exists. Everyone before it and everyone after it. Everyone personally and everyone corporately. That hour says something about your life. If there's any hour in the history of humanity that you should spend a lot of time studying and getting to know, it's this hour that we talked about last week. But then he's going to turn around and say something. So you've got one hour that informs every hour. And then the very next thing he says is the one priority that informs every other priority. And that's what we're going to read about here today in John chapter 17. Read a couple of verses, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And in verse 4, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's pray together. Father, I titled the message today, I think, in light of how you describe the importance, the centrality, the ruling dimension of your glory, your character, your nature, who you are, so vital to everything exists that, that who you are gets revealed to everything that exists everywhere. So Lord, your glory in every moment and everywhere is the priority of our lives. Lord, I, I know I have come today and I have spent the week with my mind in a variety of places, chasing thoughts, arranging energy and efforts and ideas and life. But Lord, this 
glory of yours. It abides and it rules over every moment of our existence. And Lord, help us to see that so that we can see every moment and every place and everything correctly. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the hour. This is the agenda. Jesus turns to the Father and says, glorify. Which, you know, glorify is a word related to glory. It, it is the magnifying, the revealing, the proclaiming of God's glory. It is giving to God. It is drawing the attention to the glory of God. That's what it means to glorify God. And Jesus is going to bring this up again. And the way he does it at the end of this prayer in John 17, verse 24, it, it's just revealing. And just, just hear the heart of the Savior who had walked with these disciples, who walks with us and cares for us and loves us and wants things for us. Now, sometimes we feel like we're competing with God. We want things and we're at odds with him. We don't want the same things he wants. Why doesn't he do this? Can, can you stop and just remember the Savior, the God who created, he, he wants things for you and for me. Right In verse 24, Jesus is going to say, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me, they be with me where I am, which that's awesome in and of itself. Why though? In order that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. Father, my desire, and Jesus is praying this for his disciples here, but he's also praying it for the disciples that will be. And that includes us. And he says, my desire for them is that they be with me. And, and I love this. That the, the savior of the universe wants me, you, us, to be with him. He wants to be in our company. He wants to be around us and for us to be around him. But then the, the gift that he gives that is so weighty and so meaningful, he says, Lord, why do I want them? So that they may behold my glory. Of all the things that Jesus could say right here, beholding the glory of God sits at the center of what God is wanting to do for his creation. He created everything, but, but what creation needs and what the Father longs to give is his glory to us. And that's what Jesus prays. So I, I want us to pick up on how glory, and I'll put it this way in your outline, is kind of running in the background of our existence. Right? There's noisy moments, there's stuff that comes up, but, but if we could get still and quiet enough, we could, we could hear the hum of something that's like, like an electrical sound running through every moment, in every setting, in every relationship, in every difficulty, in every celebration, you could hear the hum of the glory of God in every one of those moments. So I want to welcome you today. And this is, you know, beginning of football season. So pardon me, I've got these things on my mind as well. Uh, welcome to Creation Stadium, right? Probably an intro to the game going on right now. Some of you guys are old enough to remember when they built the Superdome. Remember that? Remember watching it go up? Remember all the, the steel and the girders and the clearing of the site out? And, and then it was the Superdome, right? Everything else was taking a back seat. You know, the, the legend that we heard. You can stick the Astrodome inside the Superdome. You know, remember? 
what that felt like when you were a kid. It's like, yeah, that's right. Hey, man, we're in New Orleans. We built the super dome. We called it super because everything else is junior, right? Well, here's what you get when you go to design a stadium. Just think for a moment about the existence of a stadium. There's going to be size. There's going to be height. There's going to be distance from the court or the field, depending on what sport is going to be in that thing. We, we soon learn the Superdome doesn't work for certain events. And y'all ever go to a jazz game when they were here in the Superdome? I used, to, I used to, with my friends, we would go and get a coupon from Popeye's and then buy a ticket and get into the game for like $1.99. And, and we would sit way up in the nosebleed section. You could almost, you didn't even know what was going on down there. It was so far away. It was like another time zone. And we would spend the whole first half trying to sneak our way down. And eventually, because they weren't very good back then, we would sit on the court. And we, I would walk off the court with the players after the game. Spencer Haywood and I walked off one time together. Hey man, that was the game. <laughs> but anyway, different lifestyle at that point for me, by the way. Um, but, you know, you've got, you've got seats filling the place. You've got aisles. There's concession stands. Now there's like little restaurants in there. There's parking lots. There's elevators, TV cameras, bathrooms are there. There are projection screens for replays. There are all kinds of advertising elements going on. It is quite a facility, isn't it? But you know what's interesting? In spite of all that that's, that's there, why don't you ever just go there for no reason? Do you ever do that? Do you ever just like drive by the Superdome like, hey, I wonder if I could just go, I don't know, sit in one of the seats. Or I wonder if the, I wonder if the hot dog stands open. We go pull in here and park in the glorious parking lot. Ride, I'm going to ride the elevator. It's like you, you don't go to a stadium for no reason, do you? You, you go to the stadium because there's, there's a spectacle taking place in it. And then when you go to the stadium, it's exciting isn't it? Right? I mean, there's, there's tailgating going on. People are there early. There's, there's an event that's taking place. But, you know, when you just drive past the Superdome on Wednesday afternoon on your way home from work, it just doesn't have the same feel, does it? It's a stadium. It's the same place you were in when that amazing interception took place. I mean, I was there the game that the, the I think the, uh, the first time the Saints went to the playoffs against the Los Angeles Rams. I think they were still Los Angeles back then. You know, you're in this place where history was being made, right? I mean, but it was, it was only electric in that place because of the game. Because there was something taking place in this arena, right? So creation is like a stadium that got built from nothing. For what reason? Let's, let's read together Psalm 19. I'm going to go through a bunch of passages. I'm going to visit them quickly today. And anytime we do that, it's, it's because uh, there is a systemic revelation from God that traces throughout Scripture. And sometimes many verses help you see that in the Bible. Rather than just say, hey, we're just going to be in John 17. We're not going to stare at any other verses, which is fine to do that. Let, let's look at how this truth is throughout Scripture. Right? So we go back to Psalm, Psalm 19. Verse 1 takes us into creation stadium. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night 
knowledge is being revealed. But there's no speech, nor are there words. His voice is not heard, but yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun. Right, so, so there is a, an event taking place here. There are things being said. The heavens are declaring something. What, what are they declaring? If you stare out into the heavens, what, what do you hear? What do you hear the heavens saying? All right, there is one way to look at the stadium and just say, hey, what's this all about? Seats, aisles, concession stands. Right, so you can stare out at the heavens, and, and, and what do you see? Planets, stars, galaxies, nebula. You go out today, and you stare up at the sky. What, what do you see? Clouds, maybe some lightning if there's ever a storm around. Color, look at the blue and the white. Right, you see those things, but something else is in those things being said. And this is where the fallenness of man has so missed. What's the voice that's there to be heard? Oh, if we would just hear it. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Listen, this is like those planets and those stars, they're kind of like what words are in a sentence, right? So we say sentences we don't sit down and just, okay, Keith just said three nouns, two verbs, and a preposition. Okay, go ahead. Uh, two more nouns, three verbs, and four prepositions this time. Okay, keep talking. I'm getting it, man. I am getting so much out of today, right? Your wife sits down with you. Your husband sits down with you and stares into your eyes, and you walk away, what, just deeply affected by the number of adverbs? And it's like, oh, the adverbs you... you Four of them, babe, four adverbs, so affected. Now, it, it's like when you string all those words together, they communicate something, right? Love and affection was exchanged. Words, just a vehicle to do it. This stadium, it's got all kinds of stuff in it, but it's trying to communicate something in particular. It's trying to be a sentence that says, glory, the glory of the creator, the glory of God. It's, it's communicating that when we stare at things through telescopes that see as far as anything we've invented can possibly see, and all we come back and say is, okay, more planets than we thought. Black holes that we never could have imagined. And do you understand? We are seeing something while we're not seeing something. Because those things are declaring something to us. But, but they're declaring it in a way that the voices are not heard. But yet, Psalm 19 says they're making a speech. The arena, the stadium, is declaring the glory of God. And it's very important that we get that's why the stadium exists. I remember the moment when Job finally reaches that place where he's like, I don't get all this. 
I've gone through horrible suffering, incredible loss. I can't explain this. Friends can't explain it. What? And he begins to question, why? Why has my existence become so difficult? What is going on that could possibly explain why so much hardship and suffering has come to my life? And in that moment, Job 38, God pulls out pictures of the Superdome being built, right? That's what he does. Job chapter 38, verse 4. Job speaks in a humbling way to, uh, God speaks in a humbling way to Job. He says, uh, Job, where, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On, on what were its bases sunk Or who laid its cornerstone? And look what happened when this was taking place. While construction of the stadium was taking place. When the morning stars sang together. And all the sons of God shouted for joy. God makes Job aware of something that he could never have understood. Unless God told him. Job, there was a day. When I was building all this for the purpose that I had for all of it. And the intelligent beings that sat and watched, it's like they were seated in a stadium watching an event, a spectacle take place. And they sang and they shouted for joy as they watched me create. That's what God is doing. That's what God was doing. That's God beginning to interact. Now listen, this helps us, right? That's just God interacting with Job in his moment of the heck is going on? All right. Did you think that's what God would start a conversation with you about when you ask in your moments of the wheels have come off, the suffering is terrible. I don't know how much more of this I can take. What is going on? Would you be thrown if God pulled out a blueprint and began to explain to you, you know, I created this and I created that and And you know what? Nobody gave me any of these ideas. I built exactly what I knew to be the perfect thing to build. And I built it exactly the way I intended for it to be built. That's the world you live in, Job. That exists for the reasons that I have given it. That's what God says here. He designed and created everything. He measured it. It's, it's sitting on things that he determined for it to sit on that. And, and by the way, for it not to sit on that. He determined the measurement. He made it this big, not this big. He did everything in defining our existence the way his wisdom and his perfection called upon him to do. And that's what he turns around and explains And when you read Psalm 19 and you hear the descriptions of, you know, the heavens are doing something. The sky is doing something. Have you ever thought, you know, this could be your job in creation? Right? The heavens are declaring the glory of God. But yet they don't talk and they don't have words. The planets, best we can tell, they're not friends with each other. You know, they hang together by a, an impersonal force called gravity. It's not like, oh, this 
long to be with that planet. I'm so glad you're my neighbor. Oh, love and affection, love and affection as we travel around the sun. That doesn't happen, does it? And then there's this assignment in here. And God says it like, hey, I designed this thing and I'm pretty cool with it. Uh, Verse four in Psalm 19. In them, in this creation, he has set a, a tent for the sun, which, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man, he runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. All right, that's beautifully poetic. But can you stop and consider There is a created thing called the sun that God assigned it to do something for as long as it would exist. This over and over and over again, over and over and over and over again, the sun travels its circuit. It doesn't change course. It doesn't say, you know what? I saw some of the pictures from the new telescope. I kind of like to veer off course and go to another part of the galaxy. It looks like there's lots of cool stuff going on. Why can't I go over there? Well, because that's not what you're created for. You're created to do exactly what you're created to do. I assign that to you. You know those angelic beings that we heard a little bit about from God's description with Job? You know, there's a group of them who sit around the throne of God and every day, Since they've been created, they have sat around the throne and proclaimed holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And they say it again and they say it again and they say it again and they say it again. And I I don't think they scratch their heads and go, this is kind of getting old. Why don't I get to be, I don't know, one of the planets. Why don't I get to be something else? Why don't I get to be the sun? The sun travels, provides warmth. I just sit around here. Nobody even knows I'm here. It's just standing before God saying, holy, 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 holy. God created everything and he gave definition to everything. And even the son of God stands in this moment in John 17, verse four, and he says, father, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. The same way the son just does this. This son did exactly what the father gave him to do. His existence was glorifying God by doing exactly what the father gave him to do. That's a good definition for glorifying God. How does anything glorify God? Well, that planet that we've just discovered exists way, way, way out there that no one has seen except for a heavenly host. We've never seen it. It's not doing what I'm doing, but it is doing exactly what God has called it to do. And thus it brings glory to God. What does that mean for you and for me when we go to do life? Because isn't the hardest thing about living in a modern world with technology where you get to compare the course that your planet travels versus the course everybody else's planet is traveling who just got to go on vacation for the fourth time this year and we've gone nowhere. 
God, what are you doing? Well, it could be worse, Keith. You could just be a little bitty planet that nobody even knew existed until recently. And now it gets to join the chorus of declaring the glory of God, right? It could be different. God could have done something different, but he didn't. He assigned existence to us. And then we learn something about this stadium. There is an audience in this stadium. And I don't know if you and I are paying attention to the the gathering of the audience, right? I think I wrote this in your outline. Creation was an event that inspired awe and worship and wonder and joy. The created beings with intelligence, they observed and they worshiped. So there is a glory audience in creation's story. Crowds gathered to see the spectacle of God's glory. They came into the stadium because there was going to be a spectacle in this stadium. And you just kind of hear it subtly get brought up, right? Luke chapter two lets you in on the crowd that was gathered when you and I were focused in on a little place in Bethlehem. And this will be a sign, verse 12, for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, listen, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, Quickly, we run by that first part. We love the peace on earth part because that has to do with us, right? Oh, Lord, that you would bring peace on earth. Oh, let there be peace on earth. Let's just pray for peace on earth. The angels, they looked on at what God was doing and got caught up in the moment. It was like they came to the game. They had been tailgating. They showed up and the son of God is born in human form in the middle of nowhere to a nobody couple. And they watch that and they see something about God and they glory, woo, to God. They're freaking out. This is amazing. There's an eruption from their hearts because they've seen something that's worth applauding. A little bit of a tennis fan. Watch the U.S. Open. Watch Serena Williams play her last game. Watch Serena win so that she could play another game. That was pretty exciting. And I mean, the crowd, I, I, felt, I felt sorry for, the, for the, whoever was playing Serena because it's not like everybody hated this person, but they just cheered every time a mistake was made by them and anything Serena did that was great. They just went nuts. And I thought, you know, I wonder how many blocks away from that stadium you can hear the eruption taking place over that shot down the line that Serena just hit. That people knew, that's a good shot. Man, did you see that? Whoa, people are going nuts and they're high-fiving and going crazy. If you're you're a golf fan, you know, your favorite guy is getting to the 18th at Augusta. It's Sunday afternoon. And if he sinks this putt for birdie, he wins the tournament. And you ever hear the crowds? I mean, because it's golf, right? I mean, golf, people like sedated. I think when you come in, you're, you're kind of like, you're given something, lithium or something. It's like... Does that even qualify for clapping? Barely clapping. So polite. Until you get to the 18th at Augusta. 
And then this eruption takes place and people go nuts, right? It's kind of like Tracy Porter's interception in the Super Bowl. You guys remember that moment? Some of you behaved in ways you've never behaved publicly <laughs> ever in that moment. But, but that's, that's the point. We're supposed to see glory and respond to it. And the angels looked on in creation stadium and they watched God send his son in human form. And they were lit up over what they saw. You do recognize there, there's an audience out there besides us. This is what life should sound like, right? I and mean, I'm just going to show you a few places. This is just all over the scriptures. Psalm 148. The end of the Psalms is very much about bringing attention to praise, to the existence of praise. Praise is a response to the glory of God. That's what it is. So if glory goes on display, you don't have to wonder, well, how do we respond to that? Do we stroke our beards and ponder, write a book? Um, maybe. After you're done being blown away like you're at the 18th hole on Augusta. After praise has come out of you like, did you see that? Psalm 148. Listen, and this is the whole stadium gets sucked into this. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. How'd you like to have that job? You're a snowflake. You fall, you're done. That's it. Do you ask for a refund? Do you say, whoa, how come, how come the sun gets to keep doing this? And I melt, I'm out one time and I'm done. What? Verse 9, mountains, hills, fruit trees, and cedars, beasts, and livestock, creeping things, and flying birds, kings of the earth, and all peoples, princes, and all rulers of the earth, young men, maidens together, old men, and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. This is the event. When you go to a game, you're not going to play in the game, right? What's your job sitting in the stands? To cheer. That's your job. Take it in and cheer. And you have to understand the game enough to know what to cheer for and what not to cheer for. And that's kind of like God too. But when we learn God, we are in the stadium with all of creation. And by the way, if you're not doing a good job, the creatures in the sea are doing a good job. The stars are declaring the glory of God. Wait, we're the only idiots going, 
what just happened? Is there like a replay screen? Did God do something cool? Yes! Over and over and over and over again. And you and I are part of that display for the universe to gather and look on. Right? Interesting words here. I'll give you a couple of them just to arouse your curiosity on how you and I are like the heavens declaring the glory of God. First Corinthians chapter 4, Paul just mentions this in passing. He speaks of his own life and ministry as an apostle. He says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all exhibited. Note that word, right? He's put apostles on display. Like men sentenced to death. Because we have become, we, we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. But you read that verse a bunch of times and just read right past it, huh? Do you know what he's describing? He is saying that his life is a spectacle that an audience, a crowd has gathered to look on and see something. One commentator says, to depict his hardships, Paul uses the disturbing metaphor of a gladiatorial show. That's what he's describing here, those sentenced to death. Right, you guys have heard the gladiator cry, we who are about to die salute you. Right, they were sentenced to death. And so, you know, fighting an animal, they were going to die anyway. So that's, you know, they're going to fight an animal, going to fight each other. In a public event with a cosmic audience, before the eyes of the whole universe, angels as well as human beings, God has put the apostles on display as a spectacle. Now, I won't show you all the verses in the Bible that say the one thing God is seeking to reveal is his glory. It's all throughout the scriptures. So if God puts the apostles on display as a spectacle, it's so that the apostles might show what? The glory of God through them. The same Paul, Paul's aware of this. He's aware there's a cosmic audience watching everything that God has created. They have gathered in this stadium. They are watching. You know, Paul admonished the women in Corinth to wear coverings of authority on their heads. Do you know why? For the sake of the angels, he said. For the sake of the angels, Paul? Yeah. Because angels look at creation. And creation is designed to show the glory of God. So, in what way? I mean, can you imagine? Let's not imagine. Let's, let's face reality. The angels watched us worship this morning. I hope so. But I mean, hey, let's, let's be real, right? Had a lot going on. I was really distracted. Didn't have my A game today. Got a golf clap from the angels. Did you see Keith today? Yeah, I saw him. Glory to God. Interesting to ponder. God has knit a revelation of his glory 
into our existence. And whether that means I get to go around like the sun over and over and over and over and over again, every time, every moment is a declaration of the glory of God who has created and designed me for that purpose. Or I get to be the person that God has made me to be and he's made you to be. And in that, I am declaring the glory of God. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 1. Don't miss this. Ephesians 1 verse 5. Says God, He predestined us to adoption as sons. All right, so that's God's pre planning. God has done this in advance. God is not reacting to us. God is doing something on purpose in advance through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Verse 6, listen, He predestined us to adoption as sons. Why? To the praise of the glory of His grace. Have you thought about that? When the stadium fills up and stares down at your salvation and my salvation, do you understand like the angels erupting when they saw the incarnation? They look at us and they know our resume and they know what we're like and they see us adopted as God's own pre-planned by God and they watch that take place and the heavens erupt in praise of the glory and the grace of God. Oh, what grace. I've been watching that guy. You saved him? What? Woo! High fives all around. Amazement and freaking out that God is that kind of God. That's what that means. And then he goes on to the end. To what end? Why is it? Well, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That's where it goes. We actually did something out of God's working in our lives that causes praise to erupt from creation stadium back to God. Amen. First Peter 4. How how widespread is this? 1 Peter 4.11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It just belongs to him. The glory belongs to him. If you bump into some glory, and by the way, you may be tempted to put your hands on it, it, it doesn't belong to us. Anything of accomplishment, of praiseworthiness. If we understand the stadium, we understand it's all God working. It's his handiwork, right? I mean, the the stars in the sky, they don't proclaim their own handiwork and say, hey, look at me. Pretty tight orbit, huh? I mean, I just keep moving. I'm moving at like eight gazillion billion miles per hour. Look at me. No, they don't say that. They declare the glory Of God, the one who made it, the handiwork of him, which is what we do as well. So we get all the way to the end of the story here. We get to Revelation chapter 5, and the stadium is still packed, declaring glory. Revelation 5 verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, right? This is... Packed house, stadium is full. 
They were all saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Do not lose that last phrase. Because I think it's impossible to see glory and not have that be the outcome. To fall down and worship the one who is glorious. If you and I stare and overhear the talk taking place in the heavens and there is no sense of wow and praise and worship welling in our hearts, do you know what we're hearing? We're hearing the heavens go, four nouns, three adverbs, two prepositions. Did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. What did you say? Four nouns. Yeah, I heard you. No worship. Listen, when we come into this place, when we have private times in the presence of God, when we read our Bibles, and there isn't something rising up in us going, wow! 18th hole, Augusta, wow! Oh, that, that just doesn't happen. Can, can we humble ourselves and recognize we're studying syntax and word structures and missing the meaning of it all. This is why Creation Stadium exists. It's there for fans to go wild and express amazement and awe. They fell down and worship. They fell down and worship. That's the right response to the glory of God being seen. Let me just say one thing, and I'm going to do this so fast, it's going to give you whiplash. If you, if you travel with the Apostle John to this moment where Jesus declares in John 17, the hour has come, this is it, the hour to glorify the Father. That's the moment, this is the priority of all the things that were to be done. John talks a lot about this hour of glory coming. And quite honestly, it's a little hard to see, but he points it out like, like we're idiots. It's like, hey, I know you're going to miss this, so can I just put a flashlight on this? Hey, you're probably going to miss this one too, but check this out. All right, so I'm going to fly through this, so you want to go back and meditate on this? That's, that's a great thing for you to do. All right, so verse 1, John says in 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. All right, do you know where this is being prayed, right? This is the last night that they're together. They've just finished the communion meal. They have had fellowship together. Jesus has been giving them a dissertation on discipleship. Now they're about to leave that gathering. Do you know where they're going next? First stop will be Gethsemane where the Savior who prayed this in front of them, glorify your name. They're going to watch him troubled. And the weight that begins to come to him, what did it look like for Jesus to sweat drops of blood and you were with him? He just prayed, Father, glorify your name. Father, it's time. Glorify your name. And then you watch the one who prayed that begin to sweat 
drops of blood. You overhear him from a distance saying, Father, if it's possible, could this pass from me? Does that sound glorious? He's going to go from Gethsemane to some kangaroo court where he's falsely accused. A system that's supposed to bring justice doesn't bring an ounce of justice. Instead, they sentence him to death. And his next stop is Golgotha. The place where shame was meted out for criminals. Are are you confused in this moment? You just heard him pray, Father, glorify your name. Listen, sometimes glory can be obscured around us and it can be hard to see, right? Here, fly with me quickly. John 9, remember John 13 all the way through John 17 is about a five or six hour event. All those chapters in John, just one evening. So when we get right up on top of it, the events start to slow up. And right, so listen to how John brings up in his gospel this issue of glory. John 9, just a few chapters earlier, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Won't get into their theology, but all of us have theology in these categories. Too many of us have karma theology. Right? This is before karma was proclaimed, but we have a karma theology. If we do good, we'll get good. You don't do good, you'll get bad. And maybe somebody else will do bad on your behalf and you'll get their bad. All right? So that's kind of what they're thinking. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Why does the sun just keep going round and round and round? Because there's something about the glory of God revealed in that. The heavens show forth the handiwork of God. This is Jesus explaining why that man is sick. John chapter 11, we go two chapters later, we hear again about the works and glory of God. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That phrase preaches, doesn't it? Isn't that confusing? He whom you love is ill. That just doesn't seem right. Because if you loved him, wouldn't you keep him from this pain? Wouldn't you keep him from this event in his life? Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I know, I know Jesus hadn't yet read good books on the prosperity gospel yet, so he's a little uninformed that there could be anything allowable by God, usable by God, ordained by God in human illness. 
which, by the way, if you've kind of been reading some of those books and you've got it flowing in your bloodstream, there's this one question that you have never been able to answer. You're going to die. So whatever you believe about God's goodness only being revealed by divine health, you're going to die. And at some point, you're going to die because your body gives up. Jesus saw this moment of that kind of physical ailments as existing for the glory of God. And I'm sure like, I mean, if I'm Mary and Martha, wait, the one you love is ill. How did that happen? I mean, you, you're like this Superman power source. We've been around you. We've watched and seen what you've done. How did you let Lazarus? I mean, obviously he wasn't just a little bit ill, was he? Jesus is not unto death. Well, you know, medically, he's going to die and they're going to bury him. So there's a little bit of, hey, Jesus, you fall down on the job here. What happened? How'd you let Lazarus get in this condition? You with all the power that you have. Sometimes the glory of God is hard to see. Sometimes the pain of life makes it hard to see the glory of God. But that's how Jesus explained that. Then John 13 God's glory is running behind a veil of evil. Right there with the glory of God, evil is present. And one can outshout the other in our listening. Verse 13, verse 21 of chapter 13. After saying these things, this is their mealtime together. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. We know he's about to pray for glory. He's about to be glorified, but he is troubled right now. You could be really, really close to something glorious and be troubled and testify, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Verse 27, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. Do you see that? Unless John says, hey, let me make sure you see this. Because what your eyes were drawn to was nouns and adverbs. You missed it, didn't you? Because all you could see was a friend that walked with Jesus for three years is betraying him. And Satan is involved. You, you see in glory yet? No, you're seeing panic, right? You're seeing stuff's going the wrong way. This is not the way it's supposed to go. Judas should never have done that. And by the way, Satan is in this situation, so it cannot be good. Oh, really? Or can it? Might it be that betrayal and satanic activity is a means for the glory of God to be seen? And for the crowds to erupt in wonder and awe at it. Then Jesus says one more thing. Seth, you can come back up here. This is, again, you can just read by this too quickly. John chapter 12, about the glory of God. John 12, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Now, this is interesting because Jesus is sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He didn't interact with Greeks very much in the New Testament. So here comes the ambassadors for the Greeks. They've heard of Jesus. They come seeking. They'd like an explanation. Hey, how do we get with the program? Verse 21. So these came to Philip. 
who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Next statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there all my there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is Jesus explaining he is going to be glorified. Kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Because at this point, he's the kernel of wheat. He's at a moment where all you see is a kernel of wheat and, and you're asking for glorification. You're asking for glory to be revealed through a kernel of wheat. Well, okay, well, first step is going to be death. First step is going to be to bury you in the soil and you're going to die. That's step one. Now that doesn't feel like glory, does it? See, glory can be obscured by all kinds of things, whether it's evil, betrayal of friends, the process God uses to accomplish it. But the glory in that little kernel of wheat is that one day, God, God would touch that dead kernel of wheat and bring it to life. And then it would bear fruit. And not only would you have a kernel of wheat, as far as the eye could see, you'd have a wheat field blowing in the wind. And it would be harvested and bread would be made to feed multitudes. There would be glory that would come from that kernel being buried in the ground. But it's kind of hard to see in that moment, isn't it? But you and I know that's what's coming. Because there's a spectacle going on in our universe. God built a stadium to put his glory on display. God put man in the stadium for the sake of something being seen of the glory of God. God assigned seats and aisles and concession stands and everything that he made is part of this spectacle event. And God put individuals with eye color and height and talents and length of life and assignments. And they live in this location and not that location. You know, I live in a first world country. It's like, hey, man. God chose air conditioning for my existence. But God created an arena from which glory could emanate. So the angels could look on and they could see, wow, he saved that one. Wow, he changed that one. He used to be like this. Look at him now. Wow. And like in Augusta, the crowds begin to roar. If, if you and I miss this, all, all we get 
is why is this happening to me? How do I explain this moment in my life? How do I explain what I'm going through? The thing, my experiences, I, I feel like I'm buried and I'm dying. Yeah, but glory is in this moment. God is doing something incredible. Job, I designed the whole place, every bit of it. I measured everything. Your life has not fallen out of my hands. It's answering to my purpose. And from the very beginning, the audience that stares at creation has been cheering and full of joy to watch everything I do. Everything. That's what God tells Job. Anybody suffered worse than Job? What a prayer this is, isn't it? John 17. How incredibly enlightening. Father, the hour, the hour has come. Your hour, my hour is here right now. Glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. Whatever that is, glorify your name. Whether it's Gethsemane and Golgotha, whether it is buried in the ground, glorify your name. Whether it's one more time lapping around the earth, shedding light and providing warmth, one more time, one more time. Whether it's standing before you and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Lord, whatever Jesus said, you gave me something to accomplish. I have accomplished it. That you might be glorified. Can I just ask the Lord to, to, to meet us? Because I know some of our spaces, some of where we're living right now, it might help us to have this perspective. Crowds have gathered. Your life is part of the spectacle. Declaring the glory of God. We might need to get in line with that. Tell God, hey God, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. Let's stand up together. Lord, for every person who came in to be with us today, for every person watching by live stream, Oh, Lord, if we can get quiet enough in the midst of all the voices and noise and verbs and nouns, your glory is running in the background of each of our lives. And Father, if we see that and celebrate the worth of everything existing to give you praise, to fall at your feet in worship, to be in awe of you. We join with Jesus in praying, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. I pray for every person who's here this morning or watching this morning that the, the loudest verbs and nouns of their life right now is, is physical illness. 
they feel the impact of their bodies facing decline, facing disease, facing the threat that they won't get out of this situation. Lord, give grace, the grace that makes the audience of heaven wildly applaud when people in those moments are able to say, Father, even in this, glorify your name. I love your glory more than I love anything else. Glorify your name in this hour, in this need. Father, there are some here this morning who are living within what feels like divine limitations. They perhaps wanted life to be different than it is right now. Then this season has allowed for it to be. Lord, they are like the sun, just doing it again and again. And life has gotten familiar and this place has gotten familiar and they wonder, will it ever be different? And Lord, they've lost sight of what glory can come from just being who you've called us to be for your namesake. So Father, for every person watching and every person here who is struggling to do it one more time, to get up this Monday and do it one more time. In a setting that has gotten familiar and maybe even unrewarding. Lord, would you, in this moment, to the praise of your glory and your grace, Lord, would you, in this moment, inject a heart that's able to say, Father, glorify your name one more time in this place and through me. Father, for people who are here this morning or they're watching and relationships are obscuring your glory. Relationships that have gone bad, that have become difficult, that look impossible and look like they cannot go in anything of a good direction. Yet, the hour of glory where you would do something that would cause the heavens to erupt included the betrayal of a friend included demonic opposition. Lord, there are folks here who are facing that kind of moment. Lord, that's what threatens to obscure. And Lord, it's, it's all they can hear, nouns and verbs. Lord, they, but, but Lord, let them hear. Let them really, really hear what's running in the background is the glory of God who is faithful. Whether Gethsemane and Golgotha are next because the resurrection comes after that. Jesus, you prayed a prayer and you invited, you invited these Greeks to follow you. To be a kernel of wheat that would be buried in the ground. To not love their own lives. So Father, we learn, Jesus, we learn something from your prayer. There is an hour that governs every hour of our existence. And there is a purpose that defines everything, every person, everything about us. So Lord, whatever hour we find ourselves in, this is our prayer. 
Father, glorify your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.